I, I just felt the need to um, sing and to reflect as we have been singing um, on the truth of the resurrection. Would you please join me for our sermon this morning from uh, Matthew 28. Would you please turn there with me? My wife warned me I mean, I should not go over time, so I will try not to do that this morning. But want to look at the resurrection as we've sung about it, as we've remembered it this morning. And uh, I want to show you some truths from, from this uh, great story this morning. Thank you to Joanne and Glenn for helping out with the singing, and all those of you who helped read, appreciate it so much. Let me read verses 5 and 6 and then have a word of prayer. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. Father, as we just take a few minutes to reflect on what we've sung about, what we've heard, calm our hearts and help us to grasp this truth so that we can live it out for all to see. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There is no doubt that we've gone through a lot this past year. There's been a pandemic. There's been racial tensions. There's been election coverage and turmoil. It seems like one thing after another has, has fought our attention this past year. And I don't know about you, but it, it's been hard to not get discouraged by what has happened. It's, it's very easy to turn on the news and find out something has happened, whether it be pandemic-related or race-related or even election-related, even politics, and, and not just get thoroughly disgusted or discouraged and just contemplating what has happened. And while we this morning contemplate the resurrection, I would like us to stop and be encouraged. In light of all that's going on, may we be encouraged by the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And pastor, you see, Pastor, how can I do that? What, what in the resurrection can I be encouraged by? Well, let me give you four, quickly, very four solid truths that help us be encouraged by the truth of the resurrection. The first one is that there is comfort in the resurrection. We read it earlier. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they come to mourn Jesus. They're looking for him. They says, Mary, uh, verse 1, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. We can only imagine what that's like. Other scriptures point to more than two women. Mark adds uh, Salome to the list. And John just kind of focuses in on Mary Magdalene and the Gospel of Luke mentions just women in general. But they're there to preserve the body of Jesus, aren't they? To, to prevent it from decaying as long as possible. They've prepared the spices. They've, they've made preparations. They've rested for the Sabbath. And now they're expecting to find a body as they make their way to the tomb. They spend a weekend in sorrow and tears and in pain. 
And now they come going to relive it all over again. The crucifixion had left them with sorrow and uncertainty. And as they approach the tomb, they're only certain of one thing. That they're going to find the body of Jesus. But something happens that changes their attention. That the angel of the Lord reveals powerfully that Jesus is alive. Verse 2, and behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guard shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Starts with a great earthquake. We get, we get our word seismology from this word earthquake. It means a violent shaking or commotion. So the angel descends, there's this violent shaking of the earth. And he rolls away the stone, this, this heavy stone that no one could roll away. It had to take several people to put it there, but one angel comes and rolls away this mighty stone and sits on it. I mean, talk about a dramatic entrance. I mean, just coming down, rolling stone and sitting on it. Now, some may look at this and say, well, that was because Jesus needed to get out. Well, no, Jesus was already out. The reason the stone was rolled away, because if you remember the other passage of Scripture in Mark chapter 16, verse 3, the women were talking among themselves and it says, who will roll away the stone from the door among, for the tomb for us? They, they had to have somebody roll it away. And, and, and I believe, based upon what we see here, that the angel rolled the stone away to show that Jesus is gone. He's not there. They don't need to do anything physically to release Jesus. He's already gone. Notice his description is very terrifying. Bright as lightning, white as snow. Terms that, that refer back to Matthew chapter 17, talking about the transformation of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. It also brings to the mind from the Old Testament, the Ancient of Days, who appears in Daniel chapter 10, verse 6, where it says, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold of aphaz, whose body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. And one can see how naturally the guards reacted to him. I mean, you see this figure before you in brightness, so bright you can't even stand it. I think the closest illustration we could use is looking at the sun. You know, I can't stand to look at the sun more than a few seconds before we have to turn our, way, our, our eyes away. And the, that is the response of the guards. They cannot look, and they're so fearful by his entrance that they faint dead away. And these are, these are trained men who undergo severe battle fatigue and conditions, and yet in sight of the mighty power of God, they cannot stand it. One commentator says this about this scene. He says, the irony is not to be missed. The ones assigned to guard the dead themselves appear dead, while the dead now have been made alive. Notice also that the angel reassures the women. We've read it before, verses 5 through 7. And they needed reassurance, didn't they? They, they come to the tomb expecting to see the body of Jesus, and instead they see a mighty angel who is, who is terrible to behold. Their reaction was in Luke 24, verse 5, as was read, then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, it gives this command, do not be afraid. The women have no reason to be afraid because 
what they're seeing is just natural. And so he seeks to calm their fears. He knows why they've come. Looking at verse 5. I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. That, that, that verb seek is present tense. So uh, maybe a more uh, complete translation would be you are seeking. And he just says, I know who you're seeking. I know who you're looking for. You're seeking the Son of Man who died on a cross. Jesus, who was crucified. They knew that to be true. They knew that he had hung on a cross and died just a few days earlier. And for them, that was a reality. And I want to ask you a question this morning. Is it a reality for you? Do you believe that Jesus died on a cross and took the penalty of your sin so that you would not have to suffer eternally? This was Paul's concern. 1 Corinthians 15.3 For I delivered first of all that I, which I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That is reality. And I pray and trust that you this morning have, have trusted in Him for your salvation. That you have trusted in His sacrifice to take away your sin. And if you haven't, I would urge you to do that today. What we're celebrating here this morning is not a dead Savior but a living one. But he had to die first to provide for us the sacrificial system, fulfill all those things so that you and I could have eternal life with him. Don't you love verse 6? He is not here, for he is risen as he said. What's the angel saying? Jesus is alive. He is not here. You will not find him in this situation. That's why he says that he is not here. He is not here. He will not be here. He will never be here. Jesus is alive. That's what we're celebrating today, that he is alive even now. And he invites them to come see where he was laid, just to, just to solidify it more in their minds that he, they might see with their own eyes the fact that Jesus isn't there. And he reminds them, verse 7, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. Indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. The angel reminds the disciples of that promise. Going back to perhaps Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Come see the place where the Lord lay. And now go tell them. Go tell them he's, he's risen. And now he's going before you. This is a command as well. And there's a sense of urgency with it. It says go quickly. So, so don't tarry around, ladies. You've seen the proof. You've heard me say it. Now go and tell the others. The angel also tells the women to let the disciples know where Jesus will be. Again, based on Matthew 26, verse 32, just a few chapters earlier, Jesus said, But after I have been raised, I will go before you into Galilee. So they, he already made an appointment with them, and the angel says, Go remind them that this is true, that Jesus is going before you. Behold, I have told you. And by point of application this morning, when comfort is needed in your life, I encourage you to turn to the resurrection. When you're facing pain and suffering and loss, when you're depressed, discouraged, and struggling, 
You can find comfort in the resurrection. He is not here. He is risen. Second truth I find to encourage you this morning is there is joy because of the resurrection. Notice in verses 8 through 10, but the angel answered and said, or excuse me, so they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. As they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So you can imagine the response of the women. They, they, they respond with joy. They obey the command. They leave. They're filled with fear, perhaps in anxiousness at what's going on. They, they don't know how to process this. They just, this uncertainty guards their minds, but they, but they have great joy. The idea of the word great is to just immense delight at the news that Jesus is alive. So they're, they're heading back to tell his disciples, and who should meet them on the way? But Jesus himself. Jesus intentionally meets them as they are on their way and show, to, to show that he really is alive. They don't have to wait to see him. They see him in that moment. And Jesus says, as a result, rejoice. The word rejoice here, the New King James translated it as rejoice. Other translations use the word greetings, all hail, that type of thing. It's a standard greeting back in that time. And we can see in that greeting that Jesus doesn't want his followers to be sad. Instead, his presence and the very fact that he's meeting them causes joy and banishes those fears and sorrows that they have. And they react appropriately, don't they? They worship joyfully. They hold Jesus' feet. This is, this is an act of worship. And, and quite frankly, if you or I replace ourselves in their shoes, I think we would do the same, same thing, wouldn't we? We'd react by grabbing onto him. Just, we know you're alive and we see it and we now feel it with our hands. They've seen the truth and they worship accordingly. Jesus is really alive and he's standing before them. And they joyfully worship him. And then Jesus encourages them to continue in their task. It's as if you've seen me, now go tell others. He reminds them of their responsibility. Do not be afraid. You know, don't have to be afraid anymore. I'm alive. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere, Jesus says. Now you can go tell others. Give the report of the fact that I am alive. Make sure they follow me and, and, and I meet them in Galilee as we had arranged. Notice the comfort that Jesus gives in verse 10. There they will see me. Not they possibly could, not they maybe could, they will see me. Jesus gives that comfort to them and to the women as they go. And by point of application here, I think we can just say this, rejoice in the resurrection. Listen to what First Peter, Peter says in 1 Peter 1, verses 6 through 9. In this you greatly rejoice, so now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whom now having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Brothers and sisters, this morning, rejoice in the resurrection. Rejoice that he is alive. And rejoice that you will one day see him again as we are promised. Rejoice. 
third truth I see here from the scriptures is that there is confidence because of the resurrection. Now we're, we're going to see in this, this brief section, verses 11 through 15, the antithesis of confidence. It's fear. Now that we're going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that happened. So the guards wake up. They realize what's going on. And they go and tell. They go back to those who hired them. And perhaps out of a fear or responsibility, they, they have to tell someone the tomb is no longer empty. And, and notice the response of the religious elite, the religious leaders, verse 12, when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together. they got to take a time out. Time out, guys. How, how are we going to explain this one? How, how are we going to figure this out? We just had a trial. We thought this guy was dead, and now he's not. What are we going to do? So what do they do? They replace the truth with a lie. They figure out, okay, what can we do to smooth things out a little bit? And they may come up with a decision, don't they? Verse, uh, at the end of verse 12, they gave a large sum of money to the soldier, saying, tell him his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. So here's a lie. It starts off with a bribe. The word large means sufficient or large enough. They were willing to pay anything to avoid this embarrassment. They thought they had it down on Good Friday. And now they've got to figure out how to solve it. And I think we see here the complete unwillingness of the religious elite to admit the truth. And it leads me to ask you a question this morning. What lengths are you willing to go to avoid the truth? Maybe you're here this morning, there's never been a time in your life where, you, where you're confronted by the truth of God's word and, and the salvation message that Jesus had. Maybe you've gone to the lengths of, of avoiding the truth, much like these religious leaders as they were willing to pay. Maybe you've paid a lot. Maybe you've paid a lot through time and money and, and avoiding what God says. I encourage you, don't act like them. They were willing to go out of their way sacrifice their, their comfort, their financial needs to avoid this truth about Jesus. Don't be like them. We know how they ended up. And I would encourage you this morning, avoid those links, avoid those excuses, and embrace the truth of Jesus. The lie that his disciples came in at night and stole him away while we slept is absolutely ludicrous. The guards were trained to not fall asleep, and there was a severe penalty that accompanied that. But how somehow that's what they got them to say. And notice also they, they make the disciples the ones at fault. His disciples. So it's not the guards, it's the disciples who are at fault. So there's several different lies going around here. Jesus is not here uh, in that tomb. He's been buried somewhere else. The disciples did it. We don't know what happened. We were asleep. And to make matters worse, verses 14 and 15, they say, well, we'll cover for you, basically. If the lie is exposed, we'll cover for you. If the governor hears about it, we'll cover for you. Make you secure. And that's what they do. They, they take the money, did as they were instructed, and the same was commonly reported among the Jews until this day. So that the lie exists and still does today. Rooted in bribery, the lie was spread by the guards throughout Jerusalem. Even to the time that Matthew is writing his gospel, as he's writing it down somewhere in the probably the 50s and 60s AD, 
That lie is still perpetuated, and we still find it today. It has expanded into different theories, such as the swoon theory, that Jesus just swooned on the cross, he fainted, he didn't really die. But those are lies from the pit of hell to dis- dissuade people from believing in the truth of Jesus. So I'm going to challenge you this morning by point of application, find your confidence in the truth of the resurrection. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Your confidence, your hope is in the resurrection. And when you struggle with that, may I encourage you to find your confidence there. Finally, there's motivation because of the resurrection. Verses 16 and following, we know is the Great Commission. The 11 disciples go, they meet where Jesus has said. He appointed this time, he determined beforehand they would meet there, and they go and meet him. And notice in verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. There's still a struggle there. There's still a coming to grips with the reality of the resurrection. And it's interesting that Jesus did not condemn this struggle. He doesn't say, you guys should really start believing in me now. I mean, look at me, I'm alive. No, he doesn't condemn the struggle. He just encourages them. They're struggling to believe, and Jesus accepts that and changes that. And he gives them their commission. Make followers of me throughout the world. All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Jesus has absolute power. Now go and tell others about me. Make disciples. And as you're going, making disciples, baptize them, confirm their conversion, and teach them what I have commanded you. What the disciples heard and spent for those three and a half years with Jesus, now the disciples are to teach other disciples and continue that process. And it's escorted by Jesus himself. Look at the end of verse 20. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The word always negates any absence of Jesus' presence. He is committed to the proclamation of his gospel until the end of the world. He will never leave that effort. So as you and I think about encouragement, I would encourage you, proclaim the risen Christ to the world. Today, people just meet because it's a religious holiday. It's a day for you to feel good about yourself and, and find some hope somewhere in some pew. And while that is laudable at times, the ultimate reality is that the reason Easter exists is, this, is that so we can tell others. That's what the disciples were supposed to do. They weren't supposed to go back and sit and twiddle their thumbs, just kind of make things go by and, and uh, keep doing life. They were supposed to proclaim him to the world. May I encourage you to do that, to proclaim this this risen Christ so that the world may know that he is alive. The resurrection is truly a life-changing event for those who believe. No less is it a wellspring of truth that gives hope in a hopeless world. When you get discouraged, depressed, downtrodden, whatever you want to call it, I encourage you to return to the resurrection. What four truths can you you find there to encourage you? There's comfort in the resurrection. 
There is joy because of the resurrection. There is confidence because of the resurrection. And there is motivation because of the resurrection. So today, on Easter Sunday, and for the rest of the eternity, may the resurrection mean so much more to you than just a day on the calendar. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for your resurrection. Thank you for the truth that propels and encourages us where we're at. May we use that truth to encourage our lives, proclaiming you to a lost and dying world until we see your face. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a reminder that we... um, uh, have a Wednesday night service at 6.30. Please be out for that. But you've done a lot of singing this morning. And I praise God that you've come, and, and I hope you stay for a little bit in fellowship. But he is risen. Celebrate that this morning. You are dismissed. <laughs>